0: So, welcome back to Half Past Capitalism, um, where we look, talk about alternatives to capitalism as if they were possible. This show is part of the Harbinger Media Network. Our guest today is Marina Lopez. Uh, she's a dancer, body worker, somatic educator, and cultural organizer in the solidarity economy. Um, she's done a lot of work with Cooperation Humboldt, um, and, but is also, and so she's based out of California. Um, but is also, uh, has more recently been working with art.coop, which is this report that we're going to get into, uh, about art and the solidarity economy. Uh, welcome Marina.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and thanks for the invitation and thank you for holding this space. I'm excited to be here.
0: Cool. Um, so you said that, um, I, I was, I was watching a video of a presentation you gave, um, I guess, in the last year or so. And, and you, you said something really interesting. You were talking about how art is a foundation um, of, I, th- I think, anti-capitalist organizing. How is art sort of foundational to, um, to creating a new economy?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think to start with, one of the ways that it was framed to me when I was introduced to solidarity economy work, um, which was my introduction to it was through Um, arts and culture work. And uh, someone asked me this question is, can you think of a successful revolution or social movement that didn't include art? And I just loved the way that, because no, (laughs) art is what drives us, it's what drives culture. Um, And so I think part of, you know, what, in thinking about that, I, you know, I think about Um, what we do as artists, and we're really storytellers, um, and we share stories from the past um, and about the past, and we bring those stories, um, we're kind of like, we bend time to bring those stories um, that are often really woven with ancestral knowledge into our present context, Um, and We construct these kind of these new worlds and imagined futures and um, ways of being. Um, And I think that we create them in a way that really invites other people in to experience them in this like really uh, viscerally liberating way. And um, so I feel like having those experiences of having um, this moment in time to uh, really feel into a possibility Can be really profound. Um, And then as individuals and collectively as community, I think that we begin to um, like seek those out over and over again to try and recreate them and re-experience that feeling. Um, So like on a fundamental level, I think that that's how social change really begins to happen is from those feelings, from the stories that are shared. Um, and art's the vehicle that brings them from that more internal space um, to an external space whether it be physical or um, just kind of this collective shared consciousness um, yeah and I'm I'm in a master's program and I love talking about the different functions that art has is like an invitation it's the party it's the process it's this future space um, yeah so I can talk more. I have more thoughts on it, but um.
0: <laughs> I'm really interested in in the. I guess there's a bunch of threads there, but one is um, that sort of collective space. The other one is sort of embodiment. The other one is um, uh, ancestral wisdom, and sort of we- weaving all those things together into it into a shared experience, or like feeling into a possibility. I think was a really great phrase you just used. Um, can can you describe, I mean, as, as a, as as a dancer, um, I'm really curious how can you describe like a moment where you felt like, um, like a dance performance or something that involved dance had, had that sort of direct connection to, um, you know, feeling into what it would be like to live in a different economy or, um, or ha- how that shared experience, like w- what was an example and how did it feel?
1: Mm, I love that question. Um, Gosh, so many moments. I've been dancing since I was three, so (laughs) most of my life. Um, Yeah, I think so. I started doing flamenco when I was 15. um, And there's, there's so much history in that form, like so much history of resistance in that form of how it came to be Um, But even just like the movements themselves, there's like all these like lines of like kind of opposing forces that happen, um, which I think is like a really beautiful metaphor that ties into this idea of resist and build, uh, which is so much a part of solidarity economy work is like resisting these harmful systems and building and creating these, um, these systems founded on care and cooperation. Um, So like just in the embodied movement of that form, I really feel it present. And I think that um, in my own experiences um, performing, like I I don't know that I can draw out one moment, but um, I was with a company that was based in New York for several years and um, the culture of that space is what I wanted to, It's 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 exactly what I want to experience every day in our communities. Um it was like it felt like family. there was um it was intergenerational. Um, and there was this collective sense that we were there to care for each other. Um, and on stage, it's so hard to describe this, but on stage, it was like it was like we had this one, this ability to just know what the other person was thinking and feeling without having to say anything. Um, and I, I don't know how to really articulate it. I mean, I think if there are performers and dancers, um, you know, listening, they probably had that experience as well. And I hope in other, other art forms, but yeah, it's hard to pinpoint a moment. I have to think about that a little while longer.
0: (laughs) So I'm really hearing the sort of, um, that sort of felt experience of of care and I guess of of uh, of alignment in space with with other with other people, um, but I also feel like you know from just from what you were saying, it sounds like art is really this thing that is you know the experience of which is really in, in ineffable and a lot in for for most people anyway. You know maybe there's some art critics who are like, all right, I can put this into words immediately, but for most people, I think it's like a feeling. Whereas, you know, when you think of the economy, it's like, all right, numbers, like, did we meet the, you know, fiscal goals? Like, did we produce enough widgets to distribute to every household? So, you know, which obviously loops back to care, like, if, you know, if you don't have enough food, or you don't have enough squashes, then you can't have, you know, dinner, basically, um, you know, and that and that extends over lots of different households uh, in an economy. Um, but how do you Is that just like a big gap that sort of you know sparks fly across every once in a while, or is do do you have ways that you bridge that gap between in the different you know in your organizing where where it sort of goes between the two?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting how you just described the like perceived differences within the economies. Like so, within the capitalist economy, I was just having this conversation with Caroline the other day of like. Within capitalism, I feel like we describe economy in terms of numbers, like you were saying, and it's kind of this like one-dimensional space. Like it's not, right? It's more than that, but how we think of it and describe it is as not experts, um, there, there's that. And I feel like what's really beautiful about the solidarity economy is it's like this very wholesome thing. It's, you can't talk about like each piece is intrinsic to the whole. Um, It's an economy that, it's an ecosystem. And and I think that like, that's what I've really come to learn and appreciate about the solidarity economy and about the ways that um, like I was brought into the work uh, was that it's, each thing is so tied into the other. Um, Like, community food sovereignty work is tied into economic democracy work, um, which is tied into housing, which is tied into arts and culture and having spaces for creative and creative activity to happen, um, which is tied in to you know, regenerative practices. Like it's all woven together. And I think that I really appreciate you know, in solidarity economy spaces and work that, like, we can separate it out, but there's this basic foundational understanding that, like, it can't function as separate units that all has to work together. Um, So, yeah, sorry, I don't, (laughs) I got a little sidetracked there. Um,
0: No, that's great. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, the question was about sort of bridging the gap between the sort of felt, the felt experience of, of art and then the like sort of very cognitive numerical experience, but I think you did that well. Um, and another thing that you that you brought up that I wanted to sort of touch on is, is the idea that um, capitalism forces us to become disembodied as a sort of a defense mechanism um, that sort of disconnects us from our bodies because, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we can talk about why that is. Um, but then it sells that embodiment. There was that experience of embodiment back to us, and I thought that was really elegant, sort of formulation. But can you can you expand on that a bit um, and talk about what you meant by that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, like I mentioned, I've been a dancer for most of my life, and i also a body worker and somatic educator. Um, and in that work, in those experiences, um, and and then coming into this solidarity economy movement work. What I've kind of like come to realize is that um, capitalism has sold us on this idea that like it's okay or it's normal or that we have to accept that um, to feel profoundly is this experience that we have to pay for, um, or to feel whole in our bodies, meaning like that we're we can feel that whole range of sensation that we're capable of. that we have to pay for that experience. Um, and I, as a bodywork practitioner, like in the wellness industrial complex, I have participated, I participate in that system. Like I totally own and recognize that. Um, but that those experiences of embodiment are only momentarily um, because they only last, you know, they're a fleeting moment because as soon as we re-engage with these Systems that we're living with them, um, I think that actually, like the most logical response to them is to disembody, um, because it's really painful. It's really and it's really hard to um, work forty hours a week and labor and um, produce and produce and produce at the speed that we're asked to within capitalism. Um, if we have all of these feelings, if we have all these sensations that we're aware of, that we're acutely aware of, arising in our bodies. Um, both physical and emotional and spiritual, like the whole spectrum of them. Um, and so like, I, I think that there's, yeah, I think that there's like, uh, so I, having clients come in being frustrated that they're in pain or that they're not sleeping, um, you know, I'm like, no, your body is protecting itself. Like you're actually responding in a way that makes complete sense. Um, to what you're experiencing and yeah so there's like there's that piece of it of why do we disembody um and I think it's a protective mechanism and I think that um I just like so I heard Nia Evans of the Boston Ujima project um, speak a few months back and she's just clearly a brilliant person um, and she talked about how like embodiment, um, like the reason that we need embodiment practices which are also really often cultural practices um, is because as we do this work um, in these movement spaces like we have to know, um, we have to practice what liberation feels like. Um, and because when we arrive in those spaces, we have to know that we're there. We have to know what it feels like to be in those liberated um, spaces of where sensation um, is is able to be felt um, and held. And I just thought that was like a really beautiful way to frame embodiment as not this like extra add-on thing, the way that art is often talked about, um, But that actually like it's really essential to this movement that um, we're creating this economy that's founded on care and regeneration, then we need to be able to feel care and to have regenerative practices within our own selves um, so that we can so that we know how to do that in an externalized way
0: yeah, it's interesting. I, I feel like one of the things that really has come up in, in my experience of sort of you know cooperative or solidarity economy organizing is that when you create a space where it is even just a little more democratic uh, in terms of the workplace where people have a little more control, um, all of a sudden, you know, instead of just putting themselves in a box and, and bringing themselves to work, like they bring a lot more of themselves. and obviously that can be much more complicated as well um so I'm just uh, you know just you know because people have trauma people have experiences people have um you know associations and and if they're not just sort of suppressing everything all the time and to fit into a hierarchical you know cube then they're then that, that stuff's gonna gonna be present um you know in in the workplace um which can f- which can feel like oh oh god the left is eating itself again kind of you know um have that those sort of um frustrations attached but I'm I'm just curious what you know what's your experience of that and and as as somebody who's sort of you know centering that how how would you approach um you know those those kinds of things coming up in a in a place where we're supposed to be efficient and numerical and uh regularized and so on
1: (laughs) yeah I think those those uh, kind of interstitial spaces of transition are really interesting. Um, it's tough. I think that um I think that communication and learning how to communicate effectively is such a beautiful tool for um, for addressing that, I'm actually just starting a project called Uncomfortable Conversations. And it's an invitation um, into discomfort and recognizing it as discourse, like as a place of learning and knowledge. Um, because I think that like I think that capitalism shies away from discomfort. Um, and also leaves us with so much discomfort that's unresolved, um, like no outlet to resolve it, right? Because the system is the issue, <laughs> um, and yeah. So I think that, like, what I found in my own life, at least, is um, is being or having the skills to hold space for that, and. Um, and then inviting it, <clears throat> inviting it in. So like I was at the grocery store the other day um, and the woman who was like handling the food that was gonna nourish me was, um, we, we've been building this like relationship, just seeing each other for 15 minutes a week, right? And <clears throat> I was asking her how she was and she was telling me this um, really vulnerable story about a huge transition that was happening in her life and relationship. And we were just having this really sweet exchange. And the person in line behind us got really upset, um, like very impatient, even though I was still, we were still having this, you know, she was still packaging the groceries. Um, And I just think that like, if we can bring more moments of like recognizing each other's humanity into those spaces, like that can be really transformational and to know that like we don't always need to have the answer. There doesn't need to be resolution, um, but that if we can show up and hold each other in our humanity, like that I think is a first step. I think that there are more steps that workplaces can take um, to create a culture of care, to give people the time off that they need, to give people the tools that they need to process that deep trauma, um, to normalize, having a practice and 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 creating space for that and i think that that you know people are working on that that's happening um but i think just being okay with your own humanity and showing up for other people's um is like a really beautiful way to do that
0: interesting i mean i feel like while while you're talking i was just thinking like um of like the difference between online discourse and like in person and, and, I've, and I feel like what you're describing just seems like almost the opposite of, of how sort of things play out on Twitter or something like that <laughs> um, and, and it made me think that yeah like especially during COVID when everything's been so virtualized like how important it is to create those sort of like embodied you know, in-person experiences in terms of, um, or encounters, you know, between, um, within collective space or or between people um, to, 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 to be able to, yeah, fully see each other's humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I just think that the digital space is a fascinating space. (laughs) I think there's so much there. I mean, we could have a whole other conversation about that, but it's just, um, like, it just, so I also have a background in psychology. And so, like, the way that people engage or disengage or choose to show up in those digital spaces is just fascinating to me, especially, like, if you compare it to maybe how they interact in a physical space. Um, So anyway, just that little... (laughs)
0: <laughs> and and would, would you relate that to to capitalism or do, is that more of a medium is the message thing like how, how do you how do you understand that
1: mm. I think that part of it is yeah like internalized capitalism that like um there we don't have a culture that allows for free expression of our bodies um I mean like white bodied supremacy is real. Um, And so I think that a digital space like in that, so I think a digital space provides this kind of like, it can provide anonymity. Um, It almost like can provide the space where it's okay. Like it's not okay how people use it, but that there's almost this permission that's given to um, like unearth your true feelings. And it's obviously really harmful and problematic. but I think that it's like there's this clear desire to learn how to and to have spaces to, to emote, to have emotion, to, to like be able to express. Um, and I think that's what fascinates me because I feel that in my own clients. Like, And where I live is a really interesting area because it's very, very conservative. And there are people who live here um, that come from families who colonize this area. Um, And then it's also very liberal and progressive and there's a college town. And so I have like a really diverse group of clients that I work with. Um, And so I can also feel that like pent up in their bodies. And because like the space that we're holding together allows for vulnerability, um, like that expression does come out. And then we can have like a co-facilitated conversation about it. But I just see that online space is like people want this. There's just nobody or they don't know how to like do it in a healthy, like regenerative, restorative way that invites in dialogue. Um, And so it ends up creating a lot of harm in the more negative aspects of it. But also there's a lot of beauty. Like there's so many ways that I've seen, especially during COVID, artists respond to Um, not being in physical space or being isolated and wanting to cultivate community um so yeah i just think it's like we have this like physical world that we're living in and then there's like this digital space that we also all exist in but only pieces of us exist there which i think is fascinating
0: definitely um you talked about uh white-bodied supremacy and and just for people who aren't sort of familiar with that discourse can you unpack a little bit like what, what are the characteristics of that um and what, what do you mean by that
1: yeah um so I just started reading this great book called My Grandmother's Hands just right behind me um <laughs> and yeah I mean and and so it's interesting because in reading that book there's also like there's a lot of um the author and I'm forgetting the author's name is really connecting the things that I've experienced as a body worker to these bigger ideas. But basically it's just the ways in which um, white supremacy has manifested in our bodies, kind of like what we've been talking about, this inability um, to express aggression, this um, like all of these things, a way that I understand it also is about like guilt and um, fear and um, these internalized belief systems um, that whiteness has kind of informed. So, I mean, maybe if you have more to add to, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm, I'm. I guess the way I conceive of it, and and this is without you know really having read up on it very much, but is is sort of a combination of 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 things. One is sort of a a trauma of yeah that that sort of shuts us off from like bodily expression, like people like literally were that there's some some article about how like white people da- can't dance and how that's actually like the stiffness in in and like a you know obviously that's not like a racial characteristic. It's a it's a historical characteristic of people who've been constructed as white who who you know have have this sort of stiffness that comes from trauma. Um and, and and it's interesting to think about where that trauma comes from. I think, like, for me, it's two two different sources, one being the sort of originary removal from the land and sort of colonize, that, that sort of historical colonization, which then get the trauma of which gets passed down through generations, obviously a lot, going on a lot of generations at this point. Um, but then the other one is, I think, the trauma of, uh, of sort of... Being being an oppressor, basically, of like being part of this machine that you don't feel like you have control over, and doing things that that you know on some level are kind of dehumanizing and horrible, and which dehumanize our our ourselves. But then we we're in this cycle of continually re re traumatizing, you know, as European settler colon you know settler colonizers, like we're in this loop. Um, and uh, and that's, that's an em- embodied thing. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious how, how you'd respond to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's um, just this idea of, of the trauma of violence that's been both endured and delivered within the same genetic lineage um, and what it feels like to hold that history in our bodies um, because all of us were indigenous at some point whether we can trace it back one generation or a hundred, you know, we all came from indigenous peoples and, um, you know, white Europeans um, were their ancestors were brutalized. Um, Their indigenous ancestors were brutalized. And then that, that experience was internalized. And when they were brought or they came, um, to what's now the United States, they then, you know, projected those same experiences of violence and domination on the indigenous people here. And yeah, so what you're saying about, like, um, kind of holding this duality of, of, like, having been oppressed, and then oppressing, and, um, I think that there's also this thread of, like, um, I think that, there's this threat, there's this like thread around um, like a loss of culture a lot. And that whiteness has become this cultural identity, but whiteness is founded on violence and domination. And so there's like, if there's this threat of whiteness happening where we're like a lot, you know, as a larger society, we're saying like, this is not acceptable anymore. This needs to change. Then it's I think that there's this fear of like, well, my culture is going to be taken from me, even if that culture is deeply problematic, right? And even if that culture is not really real, um, like in a certain way it is, there are certain cultural values that exist within whiteness. Um, and so I think that like, yeah, I think it's this this interesting like space of duality that people need... Um, like we need practices, we need conversations to be able to move through that. Um, and I think that's you know like figuring out who your ancestors were, figuring out what practices they had, um, learning about where you come from as a people, and um, reconnecting with those with those aspects. I think that's really important. Um, because yeah we all want we all want that connection
0: of course um and has solidarity economy and or sort of artistic work for you in your experience been generative um in addressing that sort of white-bodied supremacy
1: Mm. (laughs) I mean I I definitely see it in the body work piece of my life for sure um because I think that people show up in my office um, who wouldn't necessarily engage in those kind of conversations in a public space. Um, but because there's so much trust that we build together in the practitioner and client relationship, like we're able to and not like explicitly name, okay, now we're going to talk about white bodied supremacy, right? But it just it comes up like there's the father drama, there's the male trauma you know there's the 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 like there's all these traumas that come up that we that we talk about whether verbally or non-verbally um so in that space i really see that as like a as a space for transformation um and the solidarity economy organizing work uh, i think it's like a really interesting place because Um, I've had different experiences working with different people on different projects. Um, And I feel like I always am the person in the room that's like, yeah, but like, what about our bodies? Like, what about the bodies that are like doing this work of resistance that are doing the work of this labor that have endured this, like the violence of these systems? Like, we can't forget about them as we like build this new um, space and, so I think that like, I'm always really appreciative of like um, generative semantics as an organization doing really beautiful work around bringing somatic practices, like not even just bringing them in but articulating why they're essential to movement work. Um, and I think that like the more that people experience the benefits of that, the more willing they are to engage um, more and more. And I think that like, um, like recently we had a meeting with the facilitators that we were working with over seven weeks and we opened this space. Um, like I had this question or this curiosity around um, the relationship between creative energy and sexual energy and kind of using Audrey Lorde's um, ideas of the erotic as like a space to create transformation from. And so I think that, like, there are so many people who have come before us who have, like, brought these ideas into spaces, Um, you know, Black thinkers and feminists. um, And, like, I'm seeing it more happening. (laughs) Yeah, which makes me happy.
0: Yeah, it really feels like there's been sort of a... I don't know, some kind of some kind of sea change uh, in terms of people's um, openness to those kinds of conversations in mm-hmm. in activist spaces, I guess, in, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I mean, at least in my my generation of activists, like probably people start to hit, are either hitting the wall or they're just dropping out. So. Um, so, so you have to find ways, some ways to address that. Mm-hmm. Um, that cumulative sort of wear and tear, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, exhausting work.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you were involved in this art, art.coop report, which I want to make sure we get some time to talk about, um, which, um, yeah, which, which, which I, I guess what I took away from it was really just, um, some really pointed sort of, um, um, I, I guess interventions toward funders uh specifically and and really sort of in in a lot of ways sort of taking on the nonprofit industrial complex when it comes to art, but also talking about how art can sort of reinforce the um the solidarity economy movement. Um so can you can you get into that a little bit? What um yeah, what what was your sort of takeaway from that report?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah I think that uh, Nati and Caroline I've had the privilege of working with them. Nati I've been working with for a little more than a year and Caroline I just started working with in July Um, but I think they have this like incredible ability together to like take on and challenge these systems but in a way that like um, there's some critique but there's also this like offer of, of like it's not just naming the problem. They're like, well, there's this issue here, but what we really wanna talk about is all the ways that it's being addressed already. Um, and so I feel like my own perspective as an artist and not a grant maker reading that report, um, was that like, there, what it did was it really um, like brought into focus and reminded us that all of the, like the solidarity economy is already happening and it's been happening. Um, like they talk about the Kuala Arts and Crafts um, Cooperative, which is the first Native-led um, cooperative that was founded in 1946. Like I was born in 91, I'm, I'm a baby. So that seems like, but that's a long time, you know, that's a lot of history there. Um, and I think that that was just a really beautiful takeaway for me was like, oh yeah, like we don't have to imagine like some new, idea and build it all from the ground up like people have been doing this labor for a long time and it works like and it works Um, and so I think that that was like the report for me felt like this beacon of hope um, in a time that can feel so like void of hope um, that like oh we just have to get along in this system and fight it and um and so I think that that was like a really beautiful thing that I took away from it um, yeah just tangible examples of what's already happening and an offer to plug into that like an offer to connect and build relationships um with the artists and cultural workers who are doing that work so yeah
0: another thing that sort of comes up in the report is the the star system um you know where where you have this sort of r- like massive concentration of resources and um you know promotional budgets and everything else in a very small number of people. Um, what's your experience with with that? And 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 what was your sort of thinking coming out of that report?
1: Well, my partner's been an artist for fifteen years, <laughs> so that system just feeds the the scarcity mentality. Um, so. I think that um, I think that what the report offered was a, to shift away um, and to distribute power amongst who's making the decisions around how money is distributed and to who it's distributed to. Um, and I think that that's like one of the one of the things that. So we we so the report was released in March of 2020, the Solidarity Not Charity report. Um, there was like so much excitement. And then we held um, study into action, which was seven weeks of, of studying together with grant makers and artists and culture workers. And so now we're kind of visioning into this phase two of like, what's the next step for art.coop? op What role do we want to fill within this ecosystem? Um, and so I think that what's really come out of that studying together is that Grantmakers want to know how to do better, um, that they want, they took those tangible next steps that were written out in the report, and they're asking, okay, how do we do this now? How do we actually live into those values and make that happen?
0: So the response from grantmakers has been really forthcoming.
1: Yeah, it's been really positive. It's it's pretty amazing. I mean, we had a hundred, and I think we had about 105 people in the cohorts all together, and I would say like at least half of them were grant makers, um, so institutions who paid for people to come and study with us for set over seven weeks and there's two hours of their time every week. Um, it was like a pretty solid commitment. Um, yeah.
0: Wow. I mean, that, yeah. that's really um, honestly a little surprising because I feel like a lot of the things in the report were kind of like you have too much power. You need to. Like, share it and redistribute it basically. um, Yeah, well, I
1: think, and I think that what's really cool is because, like, um, so Nazi and Caroline have incredible relationships that they've built over many years of being artists and cultural organizers. And I'm just kind of getting to step into their world um, and witness and learn from them. And a lot of the grant makers are also artists, like, they are also people who create, um, who got into into grant-making because they wanted to support their community. Um, And so I think that, like, we we talked about humanity earlier on. And, like, you know, grant-makers are humans who are existing within these institutions that have, you know, deeply harmful and problematic histories. Um, But there's still people who want to change that. They still want to engage um, and figure out ways to move through that. And that's what I really have seen from you know as a response from study into action. Yeah, and I, I'll just add to just like one more little thing is that you know, in the last um, in the last six months, art has been able to move sixty thousand dollars of institutional money to directly fund many of the artists who were in the report. So, like, that's real. That's happening. And I I think that that will keep happening um, because I think the art co-op is in this really unique position to be kind of a bridge between grant makers and artists who are on the ground doing this work um, and to be this place where there can be this shared um, exchange of learning. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And and what's... I guess, from your perspective, kind of coming out of that series, what's on the horizon for for you in terms of where where the next steps are to develop, you know, art and the solidarity economy?
1: Yeah. um, Well, for me personally, I just started a master's program in art and social practice. So um, there's that piece, but it feels very connected to the work that Doing with art co op. I mean, Caroline's a socially engaged artist. Um, so, yeah, I think that we're, we just had a visioning session with the group of facilitators who held space for those seven weeks. Um, and they're brilliant humans, like, they're incredible. And so, we're going to take the rest of the year um, to rest a little bit um, and to kind of reflect on what we learned from study into action, we got we also got amazing feedback from a lot of the participants, um, and one of the questions that we asked them was, what role do you see art.co-up playing within the solidarity economy ecosystem because we really wanted to like, we don't want to do, re- we don't want to repeat work and we don't want to um, use the position that we're in to take away money from the artists who are doing this work. Like we're really clear about that. Um, But we do wanna know if there are gaps that need to be filled and how we could fill those gaps. Um, So we're kind of sitting with all of this amazing feedback and these very clear um, commitments to what what we want to do and what we don't wanna do and also our capacity as um, as humans. <laughs> and Nati and Caroline are both mothers, and Nati just had a baby, which is so exciting. So like how do we really cultivate um, and live into this value of care as we organize this space? Um, but I think that I think that like education um, and kind of existing as this bridge will be a part of the next phase of what we do.
0: And are there specific examples of sort of solidarity economy work, you know, or I guess organizing among artists that that inspire you in particular, or or that that stand out to you as examples of of a of future direction?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, like all of the projects in, named in the report were really incredible. Um, I'm trying to think of a few that are like the Boston Ujima project they're having this um, cultural conference right now that's happening Um, and so they're a a democratically run uh, investment firm that in basically reinvests within the community um, to artists and culture workers and uh, they're all they're BIPOC led Um, and so it's that's one, that's one piece of work that I'm really excited about. Like, so I really love this like intersection between economics and art. Um, like, I just think it's really cool to use creative practice to change the way that money is moved. Um, and so like, I also am excited about like the East Pay Permanent Real Estate Cooperative um, that's buying uh, land in Oakland Um, and turning it into cooperative housing for artists and creative that's affordable. Um, Like, I think that those are just like really tangible examples of um, using like the skills of an artist to create this vision. And then um, like using that to articulate how the benefits of moving money in this way, and then like moving that money and supporting these artists um, in like real life material, like supporting their material conditions um, yeah, I'm, I'm also co-coordinating this working group called Arts, Culture, Care, and the Solidarity Economy, um, which I'm hoping is going to be, like, it's, it's an art-centric space, um, which I don't think we have a lot of, that's just focusing on, like, what are the needs of the artists who are doing this organizing work, um, and it's, and it's a national convening, so, um, we have folks from all over the country who are, part of that working group and we're kind of just visioning into like what can this space be um together and what what are our collective needs and how can we fill them so yeah
0: sounds sounds like that it's a really yeah really active um you know i don't know wedge of the uh of the solidarity economy organizing it's it's exciting
1: yeah
0: um and I guess just before we wrap up, I, I wanted to just kind of roll back the clock a bit to the to how you got your sort of start in solidarity economy organizing and um, and what 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 that what that organizing looked looked like and looks like and sort of yeah just a little bit about your trajectory.
1: Cool. Yeah. So I um, I'm originally from upstate New York and I moved to Humboldt County, California about seven years ago. Um, And I just finished my, so about five years ago, I finished my undergraduate degree um, at Goddard College, which is like a really kind of (laughs) revolutionary space to get a degree. And so feeling like, you know, I had this interdisciplinary study that was looking at trauma and story and embodied art practice. um, And through, you know, through these lenses of positionality and privilege and whiteness. So I was like, where are my people in Humboldt? Because I haven't met anyone yet. Like, where where are my people organizing? Um, And I saw this like beautifully made flyer and it said, artists dismantling capitalism. And I was like, huh, what's that about? So I went and I just immediately was like, all right, here they are. Like they're they're here, they're living, they're doing things. Um, And that was Cooperation Humboldt's first public offering uh, about four years ago. Um, And yeah, pretty soon after that, I got involved. um, And the organization was like brand new. And so like, it's amazing if you familiarize yourself with Cooperation Humble, the work that they're doing four years later is insane. Like how much it's grown. I mean, over COVID, the like core team leadership doubled. To like almost a hundred people, like it's like people want this. They're thirsty. They're hungry, um, and so I started. Um, you know, I spoke with um, David Cobb, who was one of the co-founders, and I said, "You know, I see that you have this care and wellness program area, but like there's nothing happening in it. How come?" And he said, "Well, we just haven't had anybody um, come in and do anything. Like, feel free to feel free to do something." <laughs> And so we did, we gathered a group of people together and, um, and I spent a lot of time co-developing the care and wellness program area um, with Cooperation Humboldt, um, which is now like this beautiful thriving area that is um, collaborating with the Department of Health and Human Services to do street outreach for, to the houseless population and bringing in arts and culture. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my start was like, all right, what do I know? I know about care and wellness. I don't really know about the solidarity economy, but I'll learn about it. Um, yeah, and so I, you know, with starting grad school and working with art.coop, um, I kind of stepped away a little bit more from an active role with Cooperation Humboldt. And I'm really excited about developing my own practice as an artist. Um, and also like co-creating socially engaged practice within the co op space. So designing educational models that can be also function as socially engaged art um, for grant makers and artists. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like every day is this surprise but it's always a good surprise. <laughs> and um, it's exciting and a little (laughs) nerve-wracking, but um, yeah, I feel like I have really great people in my life and really great mentors, Um, so yeah, looking forward to building that work.
0: Thanks for that, Uh, that summary, quite quite an arc. Um, (laughs) uh, I I guess as a a sort of a penultimate question, um, Elvis Costello, I think, said that uh writing about music is like dancing about architecture um so I guess uh, my question for you is what is dancing about the solidarity economy like
1: (laughs) uh it changes every day (laughs) yeah sometimes it's like stillness and rest and sometimes it's like a marathon um but I think that it's, and it's never like, it's never so low. It's um, like, there's these muscles that we have in the back of our skull called the suboccipitals. And they're kind of shaped like this. And one of the things I love about those muscles, which I know sounds really dorky, but um, is that each of the, of the threads, like each of the different um, facets of it take turns holding up the skull. And that's like, that's the dance of the solidarity economy is that it's never just one person. It's never just one thing. It's each of us taking turns and coming in and saying, okay, how can we support here? And then saying, I need to step back and okay, I'm gonna support here. Um, And I really feel that in this work and I feel that that's possible and it's happening.
0: That's a beautiful note to end on. uh, I guess before before we fully wrap up, is there anything you want to you wanna direct people to? Um, uh, a Twitter feed, a website, uh, an album, anything? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, definitely check out art.coop. There you can, if you're not familiar with the Solidarity Not Charity Report, it's, um, even if you don't like read it page to page to page, skim through it, see what's happening, see how artists are creating. Um, We also have two social media goddesses um, who curate like an amazing feed. And so they're sharing out a lot of um, artists who are doing this kind of work and sharing out organizations who are offering support for that. So check out Art Co-op on Instagram and Twitter. Um, And I also like love the way that Cooperation Humboldt, which is modeled after Cooperation Jackson. So I definitely would check out those two organizations, if you're like, well, how do I organize locally in my community? Um, because I think that they offer really beautiful examples of how to do that. So, yeah.
0: Amazing. Uh, Marina Lopez, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Yeah, thank you, Drew. really appreciate it. It's fun.